Welcome to Casa de Cambio. On this episode of Casa de Cambio, I am so excited to be joined by Camilla Noy. Welcome, Camilla. Thanks, Tash. So pleased to be here. How's your week going? Uh, good, good. Um, just recovering from a bout of COVID, so um, taking it a little bit easier on the social front. Um, yeah. But other than that, all good. I'm glad you're finding fit again. I've actually had a few planned guests come down with COVID and had to rearrange podcast episodes. So it's going to be a bit, you know, the episodes will come out when they come out and when people are well enough to record. So I'm really glad you're here. Yes, all good. The voice is back. No more sore throat. So um, all good to go. Excellent. Excellent. So today we're going to talk about when do you need to bring on change or when do you need to use change management principles when you're implementing change but before we do that there's a couple of questions I ask every guest who comes onto the podcast and the first one is what are you currently watching reading or listening to? Well where do I start? So I um, I love doing all of those things so have lots of things on the go um, at any one time from a um, a reading perspective. Um, I've gotten into this habit of now having a non-fiction and a fiction book going at the same time, which is very rare for me. So I think it's sort of a bit of a leftover from, from the lockdowns. Um, so on a non-fiction front, I'm currently reading The Gifts of Imperfection by Brene Brown. Oh, great. I am a big fan of hers. So um, mm. have read majority of her work. Um, this one managed to fall through the cracks, unfortunately, but um, it's been a very insightful book for me in particular um, and it's just it's taught me a lot over the short period of time that I have that I've been reading it yeah I've just started watching her TV show Atlas of the Heart yeah. on it's HBO Max but it's on binge here in Australia I've watched one episode but whenever there's something Brene like her podcast or I have to give it my full attention so I've yes. got to be in the correct mood because otherwise like it'll just all go over my head because she's so smart. Oh, incredibly smart and talented. And I find that um, a bit like you, I have to give my full attention, but also I'm scrupulously taking notes throughout what I'm when I'm listening to her or, or reading something of hers because I just find her little nuggets of gold are just so valuable. And um, I find it's really easy to adapt them to my way of working and, and my life day to day. So yeah, I really love anything Brene Brown, big fan. Yeah, same. I haven't read any of her books, but I, because I'm a podcaster, I listen to her podcast and I feel like she's the person that calls me out on so much of my shit. Like some of the stuff she says, I'm like, oh, oh. And then <laughs> like she explains it. I'm like, oh my God, I do that. Yep. Sorry. I'm going to change that. I, oh. She um, does. She yeah. does. Yeah. And she's many times I've had, um, when I've been reading and I've actually verbalised what is going on in my head in terms of reading through her um, her work and going, oh, my God, that's so true. And, you know, I find my husband walking into the room going, are you talking to someone? Because it just it really does speak to me, um, a lot of the work that she and she does and, and the way she writes. I really love it. Amazing. Anything else you're reading, listening to, watching? Um, so also just finished the latest Leanne Moriarty book. Um, I'm a big fan of hers as well. So I've read all of her her works. Um, and the latest book, Apple, Apple Never, Apple's Never Fall, I should say, um, has proven to be um, a very um, worthy read and did not disappoint. So 
Um, and then in terms of podcasts, um, love a bit of Chat 10 Looks 3, so mm-hmm. Annabelle Crabb and, and Lee Sales, yep. um, dynamic duo, um, often get a lot of my um, podcasts and movie recommendations and book recommendations from these two lovely ladies. So, um, yeah, very keen for them to bring out another another podcast very soon, hopefully. That's a great podcast. Um, and I'm not sure a guest has ever recommended that one or maybe I've recommended it, but no, good recce's. Thanks. Fabulous. Um, and the second question is, what was the best career advice you ever received? Yeah, um, it's interesting because over my career in change and, you know, before I came into change, um, I had a lot of good mentors and I've worked for a lot of good managers. Um, and I suppose the simplest bit of information or bit of um, advice, I should say, that I got um, from someone who has recently come back into my career, daily working career, has been back yourself. Now, I know it sounds really simple and um, and somewhat cliche, but I think um, it's more around the context in which this conversation and this advice was given to me. Um, And it was at a time in my career where... um, I was really unsure of the direction that I wanted to take um, and questioning my abilities, both as a a change professional, um, but also um, just more generally, um, I must say. So, and this particular um, mentor that I had at the time really just said it simply as that, back yourself. Um, And in that, it gave me the confidence that they had in me to make the right decision, that I had the, the right abilities and skills and talent to um, be successful in the role that I was looking at and, and going for, um, but also knowing that I had support if it didn't turn out. And I think that was also really important to me to have someone that, um, not that I could fall back on, but they um, they were generous with their time and willing to you know give me feedback and help me grow um because I think that's really important particularly when you're feeling vulnerable um Mm. is having that network that safe network that you can turn to and um and really um be be your true self and not have to put on any kind of facade because that can often be very difficult for a lot of people yeah I think the more authentic you are I've certainly found the more authentic tash I bring to work the better that's received because the people who don't like you it doesn't matter what you do there there are some people who aren't going to like you and it doesn't matter if you try to be the person you think they want to see or it it never works out so the more authentic you are definitely and and then you're not you know everybody knows what you are they know what to expect you can put you find yourself in roles that are better fits for you Mm -hmm. because when you're pretending to be someone you're not then you can end up in terrible roles that are just wrong for you and you can be miserable. Absolutely. And I think, yeah, you touched on a really good point. Authentic leadership and, and being authentic is something that um, I've always tried to be. I don't know how successful I've been in it, but uh, it's something that I def- definitely um, endeavour to be in all facets of my life. I think you re- that's really important and and just shows that, you're comfortable with who you are, which is also something that people sometimes take a long time to to get used to, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great advice. Um, On to the topic of the podcast. 
when do we bring on change? Um, apart from all the time, you should consult us every single time. Um, the first question I wanted to ask for your advice on is when, and you know, I guess this is pretty directed at people who are not change managers, which I know makes up a large part of the listenership. So if you're somebody who's driving change and delivering change, when you're thinking about whether or not you should consult your friendly neighborhood change manager, or you should apply change management principles and foundations, or yeah, you should seek out, you know, do I need to hire someone or seek out some type of, type of specialist support? What, do, what are some things that you recommend people start with? Yeah, really good question, Tash. And I think the first thing that came to mind for me and based on my experience um, working in the field has really been about are you clear on the purpose and, and what you're trying to achieve and the outcome that you're looking for? Um, I think a lot of um, engagements that I've had previously the business um, has been unclear on this mm. and part of my role has been really helping them to cement that, vis that vision and that case for change, if you like. Um, and what often can be um, thought of as very simple questions, um, we find or I found that the business or business stakeholders or, or sponsors are really um, unsure and it sort of plays back into the theme that we've been talking about, about vulnerability, is um, there's this often level of um, assumption that people have put on them that they know the answers to these questions. Um, and I've often found that when you break it down with the sponsor or, you know, the business leader and um, provide them that safe space, they often end up telling you that they don't know the answer, which um, mm. is good in some ways because it means that they've come to that realisation, they feel comfortable talking to you about that so then you can start to build on how you help them understand what that vision is and, and the outcome and the success measures that they're looking to achieve. So you talked about asking questions. So what are some of the questions um, that you suggest people, you know, ask themselves or ask of their business sponsors? Yeah, so some of the questions that I have previously asked is um, why are you doing this? What's, what is this going to mean for um, your people uh, either internally? Um, what is this going to mean for the customers that you serve if, if you do have a customer base or an external client-facing ba base? Um, what, what does success look like for you? If we stood here in a month, two months, a year, what what was that ultimate vision be for you and your business? And what kind of things are you going to be talking about um, that have led you to this success? So almost starting um, at the in the future and looking mm. backwards and what that means for them, because sometimes that can help them um, articulate what that looks like um, and in a way that it's coming from a positive um, it, it puts a positive spin on it. Um, often in a lot of these cases, people can be um, thinking of the negatives of what if it doesn't work or what if we fail? How do we spin that around and, and take that to a positive space? And what does success look like? And, and what's the, um, you know, what's that news article going to be talking about our success across the, across the business almost? Yeah, I do tend to put 
a bit of a negative spin on it, not in the way that you mentioned, but my, because the questions I ask is, well, if this isn't done well, like what, like what is the risk? What's yeah. going to, what, what's going to be the fallout if this doesn't go well? What is our company going to lose? And, you know, are there benefits hinging on this? Like are, are there, you know, customer benefits or MPS or, you know, financial benefits that the company will lose if this doesn't happen or if it's done badly? And I think that also needs to be covered, absolutely, because I think, um, the, yeah, the flip side of that is is the, the detrimental effects or impacts of, of what they're trying to do and can sometimes also cement whether it's the right direction as well. Mm because um, the fear of losing something is often big enough to deter or cement that actually this is not the right thing for our company or for our business to be to be doing at this point in time. Yeah, doing nothing is always an option. But what are the consequences of doing nothing? What are the consequences of doing something and doing it badly? And, you know, what? and then what if we did it well? Yeah. What would the result be? And which one do we like the best? Absolutely. Yeah. And that's where, you know, doing a, a change canvas can really help um, mm. cement that. And I find that using that method is really good with um, particularly those people who are new to change um, because it's very um, simple, straightforward. It's easy to understand. It sort of takes away any jargon. Um, so it's really um, a useful tool to help people get that um, clarity of thought. Yes. And I feel like since you brought up change canvases, which we definitely <laughs> didn't discuss before we hit record, if the listeners want a copy of a change canvas, I do talk about this in my delivering change in agile environments, which is available on demand on my website, um, which is www.casadecavio.com.au. I feel like I had to plug that. Um, Away. If, you, if you want more instruction, um, but otherwise, if you want a free change canvas, then go to leanchange.org. If you don't want to pay, there's the free option, but change canvases are great. And I think I, one of the things I love about the change canvas is it does ask a lot of those questions in an open-ended way that mm -hmm. will help you flesh out some of those things. Um, I think another thing you touched on before that I'd like to ask more about is, you know, do people need to do something differently? as a result of this change? Because sometimes you can bring in changes and people don't need to do anything differently. They don't need to behave differently. They don't need to carry out follow processes. You know, processes that they follow will not change. Um, so you can go, okay, well, no one needs, but if people need to do something differently and if it's very different to how they're currently doing that thing, then maybe you want to, you know, seek out the services of a change professional or apply some change management principles like the change canvas. Absolutely. And it's often, um, it's, it's interesting because a lot of the time um, when I have been engaged either at a project level or, you know, in a business more generally in, my, in a BAU capacity, um, it's often been um, in relation to a technology change. And these are really interesting changes because depending on the nature of what they are um, and the stakeholders that you're dealing with and the, the level of maturity of change management and we're talking people change management not technology change management to confirm yeah. <laughs> um, that there there can be varying degrees of um i suppose buying of what change management can bring to the mix and and what i mean by that is 
it's generally in those instances where change management is dismissed um, as being um, communications or sometimes just a bit of training that needs to happen. Come some um, training. Yeah. yeah so or soft skills or your fluffy change stuff. I yeah. hate it when people, that is one of my pet peeves when people say soft skills or fluffy. It's like there is nothing fluffy about what I do. <laughs> no, and it's definitely a, um, a myth that um, those who haven't experienced um, quality change management um, tend to adapt to or, or, or carry with them. Um, so really understanding and, and helping those teams break down, well, what does this change mean for the different stakeholders? What's the shift in mindset? Because sometimes and many times it is um, shifts in mindset or shifting culture, um, which um, people really need. That, that takes a lot of um, dedication and mm. really understanding um, how to shift that mindset it, it can be really difficult because yeah. it's so complex. Yeah, I, I think you've hit the nail on the head there. Like there are some changes that can be really easy to, I guess, I don't know if force is the right word, but that's the word Embed. that's popped. But then let's say, for example, if you're implementing a new system, you just decommission the old system, they have to use it. But then but then there's things like culture change and behavior change. It's like we want you to interact with customers in a different way. And it's okay. completely fundamentally different to how you're doing that currently. Like when the option to do things the old way is still there, or even if you decommission the old system and then you, they've got problems, they'll find, you know, some third, some other way to do it, like over email or on spreadsheets. That's right. You know, people can revert to those ways of working because, yeah, where the option to do things the old way exists it will be more difficult to actually embed and drive adoption um, than just a little bit of comms and training. Whereas, some, yeah, there, so maybe, yeah, considering how difficult the change will be to embed and, how, yeah, how different is it? Is there the option to do things the old way? Is it a cultural change or, you know, a mindset shift? Yeah. Because then, you know, we may need to provide additional support. Exactly. And I think, you know, that level of support, understanding what level of support you need and the kind of change manager you need, because, you know, something more complex, like a, an M&A kind of activity requires um, a change professional, potentially with that experience um, and is well-versed in, in change as a discipline, as opposed to, you know, a system change or something um that is less less complex, I suppose. So it's really being clear on um, also the level of experience that that, that um, requires. Um, yeah. Is because I mean, my in my opinion, a lot of change you you learn by experience. There's only so much theory that you can read. It's adapting that and applying it in real life situations and in real um, projects and programs. That's where you get that gold and that um, that real um, adaptability, I think, and, and growth from a change perspective and, and building your experience. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons why, you know, um, when people ask me should I get a change certification, my short answer is no because you got to get the experience. Like you can get a cert, but you can't, like you, you can't get a certification in change management M&A, change management agile transformation. Like you can't go and learn that in a classroom. You have to learn it by doing it and you have to 
repeat it a few times to be good at it. Yeah. And that's kind of why, you know, if I'm recruiting and I don't know, I'd love to hear if like what you do when you're recruiting people. But I mean, I don't even really look at what said it like, it's, it's a night, like, it's great. Yeah. You know, Cause I think people are like, okay, this person's dedicated to their learning and they're trying to be the best change professional they can mm-hmm. be. But I look at the experience first. I'm like, what kind of projects have they worked on? What companies have they worked for? I'm like, oh, they did this at this organization. That's yes. really interesting. I want to know more about that project. Yes. But I don't go, oh, they've got this certificate. Like, and I would never, you know, count someone out because I didn't think they had their correct certifications. No, absolutely. I'm, I'm wholeheartedly of that sort of line of thinking as well, Tash. Um, it's really important that, you know, the experience matches the kind of role that you're wanting to place someone in. Um, and I definitely look at people's previous experience, you know, the roles that they've been in, the, the companies, the types of programs that they've worked on um, and how diverse it is. Yeah, look, um, having qualifications is um, complementary. I, don't, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't rule it all out totally. I said, mm. I think if you've got some experience um, initially in change and then you're wanting to sort of understand the theory side of things and how it sort of all comes together um, in, in that aspect, I think that's beneficial. But I would wholeheartedly recommend, you know, getting your, your feet, sorry, your hands dirty and rolling up your sleeves and experiencing it and then yeah. using that um, that theory and that um to, to complement your experience and cement that. Yeah. Find some good people to learn from. And then you can work out what learning you need to do rather yes. than a blanket. Oh, this is, you know, the methodology that, you know, applies or whatever. Um, went off on a bit of a tangent about certs because you mentioned yeah, sorry. any excuse for me to get on that high horse. Um, another one I was thinking of is if business critical processes are going to be impacted. Yeah. You know, because it comes back to that risk. Um, yes and I sorry and it's funny that you say that because often um when you ask people if business critical processes are going to be impacted they give you this funny look of but what do you mean all our all our processes are critical so um that then unfold or well, unreveals I should say another gap within the business that they weren't aware of so um, I, I think that that's a really um, poignant question to ask businesses mm. because um, it helps clarify their thinking further. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, you're right. Having that what is a business critical process and, and what that actually means and I think if I could share what I think it means is if that process falls over, the business can't do its the mm-hmm. business it, it can't run so mm-hmm. I don't know if I think I don't know let's think of a retail, retail store for example yeah. if the POS systems or the FPOS systems stop working in the store they can't sell clothes you know that's- if it's clo- if it's a clothing chain and that's yeah. what their whole business is that's how they get revenue so if that goes down that's bad <laughs> it's really bad exactly exactly you know, if somebody can't get an approval because of a process and it takes a little bit longer that's not business critical because the business is still, you know, selling clothes. It's still making the money that it needs to keep the business operational. Exactly. And yeah. also linking it to the risk element. Um, I find it's interesting. I've found that um, linking 
the um, the outcome or the unsuccessful outcome of a change to risk. Um, for some reason, people seem to feel like it has more weight. Mm. Um, mm. And I don't know whether it's because I haven't quite yeah, gotten clarity on this, but whether it's because risk is a far more understood discipline in businesses and it's far more mature potentially. I, I don't know. Um, I'd be interested to on your thoughts on that, but it's certainly um, maybe it's a more tangible outcome. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure, but they definitely feel more comfortable in talking in risk elements. Maybe it's easier to imagine because I think everyone has been the victim of a poorly managed change in their yeah. lifetime. Um, whether, you know, no matter, it could be really small. It could be mm-hmm. an actual transformation project at work, or it could be something. I'll give an example, right? <laughs> Yesterday I came home from running some errands and I discovered that workmen had installed two large pillars in my car park, which is at the rear of my building. So my car park was no longer a car park because on one side is another car park and the other side is a wall. Um, and the reason they installed the pillars is because we're putting security gates. Like I've got, I live in an apartment complex and there's, you know, street frontage and like very common in, in a city Melbourne, there's a laneway at the rear. And that's where, you know, my apartment car park is. Um, and so I knew that the security stuff, the installation was happening. I'm like, that's great. I support this change. It's going to make the building more secure. You know, people can't cut through from the street to the alleyway and, you know, it's going to be like, less risk of crime, totally get the why of this change. However, no, I was not informed that that was going to happen to my car park and I was going to be car parkless for however long. Um, And I spoke to one of the workmen who just said, oh, um, you know, yeah, they're going to be rearranged, blah, blah, blah. And also I live near the Grand Prix. Grand Prix is on this weekend. I'm like, this is the worst weekend to be street parking. Um, but I, again, and being a change professional, I was so bloody cross that nobody had in, done the impact, thought about the impact and who's in, like, who's impacted and should we inform them and let them know? Um, and yeah, so, you know, that's, but that's a really small example of change mm. was done badly. Um, and as a result, I'm a bit annoyed. Whereas if I'd been informed, I would have been like, yeah, okay whatever Um, maybe we could do it a different weekend um but yeah like (laughs) I think everybody has examples like that it's a minor example I'll be over this in a couple of days like well it'll get sorted out um or they have examples where you know it's been like had quite bad consequences so I think when you talk about poorly implemented change and you say the risk or people think about something that was in the news or they think about a project so I think it, it people can envision because they can think about a time when it happened to them yeah um but yeah you're right people do understand talking in risks and talking in I guess negatives and we should be talking in more of the what's possible and the could be's and but yeah it does tend to appeal to people um and you know maybe it's not great that we have to scare people into um employing our services and (laughs) consulting us on things um I think another one as well that doesn't get quite the 
the understanding because you're right when if a lot of things are technical like I think where there's org or people changes because and you touched on this before as well because you talked about tech change and quite often there can be a tech change that's very simple from a technical perspective but it can have a very high impact from a people Mm -hmm. perspective and vice versa like there can be a tech change that's super complex and requires heaps of dev and but you know the like it's got very low impact and maybe that does just require a quick email you know um and so there isn't actually a correlation between money spent or technical complexity and impact on the other end and so I think sometimes people get you know they make assumptions or or get the two you know they think Mm. the two are are the same but yeah I think anytime that someone's job description is changing or there's a re you know it's gonna this change is gonna prompt a restructure or some organizational redesign or new KPIs Mm -hmm. or um what are some other people changes I could think of maybe somebody you know is reporting into a different team or they need to new you know learn a new skill that they don't currently have and what like they might worry well what if I can't learn that skill you know is there a place for me still in this organization like I think you've got to take those ones pretty seriously as well and one thing that one change that um I've experienced in many different organizations that I've worked in is um you know, that reorganisation of the business but at a really micro level. So it might just mean like one senior leader or executive is leaving the business and a new one's coming in and what that then um, can result in for the teams below. And I think this is that's one that often gets missed and underestimated um, because I think a lot of the the people within the teams below um, are, are wondering all of those things. Is, you know, is my job going to be safe? Um, is the direction of what I'm doing going to change? Um, how is, you know, my my work day-to-day going to be different, if at all? And I think that's something that um, it, it's an example of when where change sometimes gets overlooked and people just make an assumption that everything will be okay without actually asking the question of what this will mean. Um, and I, I see that a lot. That's just a small example, but I see that a lot in many of the things, um, organisations that I've worked in. It'll be fine. We'll just send a, a communication. Um, and it's only when you start to unpick and, and ask some of those really um, targeted questions that people start to think about, actually, no, maybe not. Maybe that's, that is a there is a process that we um, do need to redesign, which will mean you know xyz so it's um it's really important that we do sit down in in some capacity and and do an impact assessment yeah yeah it definitely comes down to impact yes um as well and fully understanding what the impact is because yeah I think one of the most common reasons that changes go badly is because the impact wasn't properly thought through or, or understood yeah and also um you know, in, in organisations where this is relatively new, it's seen as a bit of a tick and flick exercise. Mm. Um, so it's really good to have prompters for um, the people participating in that activity. Um, yes. So that they can be clear on, okay, this is sort of the kinds of things that we're looking to un- uncover and understand. Um, it's not a free-for-all. Um mm. And, and we are somewhat targeted in why we're asking these questions. Um, 
and, and really taking them on that journey of the process that we go through when we're starting to help people manage change right from, you know, this is an idea through to embedding it and, and handing it over into BAU. Mm-hmm. And if any of the listeners want a copy of some example prompters that I've put together, just send me a DM on LinkedIn or or through my website and I'll happily share those. Um, but yeah, prompters, impact assessments. I've actually just coming back to the change canvas. I've just remembered, um, yeah, like one of my clients is a scaling startup. And one thing that has um, been really popular with them is the change canvas. It's gone really well. Um, and we've been getting people together and having really good, robust discussions mm-hmm. about what is actually changing and who's impacted. And then it kind of flows into, and this is for, you know, incremental change. So Ooh. it's kind of, I mean, it's not quite, yeah, it's not quite three week sprints, but we're, you know, doing regular releases. So they are smaller mm-hmm. changes and that's actually, yeah, getting people together every time you're going to, and have it. And I've noticed, I've been with that client for a little while now. And I noticed each time we get together and do a strategic change canvas workshop, we get a better output every time. So each time it's a little bit better than the last time and we have a little bit better discussion and, you know, we have better outcomes from it. So yeah, cannot, yeah, yeah. Cannot recommend it enough. Um, So that is something that's gone really well with this particular client. Um, What about changes to customers, Camilla? Um, So I think, again, it's something that people underestimate. Customers are certainly people too. Um, And walking in their shoes and really helping, getting, I suppose, a good understanding of what what it is going to mean for the customer. Um, Are we asking them to change their behaviour? Like are we bringing in a new website where their whole experience will be... um, impacted and how they interact mm. with us if that's our main um, channel in which we get business or um, or provide them with information on on our business and and, and get that traffic um, I think that's something that it's interesting um, because depending on where the organizations that I've worked in it's been dependent on where that um, has sat um, sometimes it's sat within the change space sometimes it sits within marketing um, sometimes it sits within um, those um, areas that own that relationship with that customer. So um, in all the different companies that I've worked in, that uh, ability to um, and that involvement in understanding what the impact is for the customer has varied. Yeah. Um, I think it's really important, though, that um, the, for consistency, that change follows that same process that we would for an internal um, customer being an employee um, because um, why wouldn't you? I mean, it's you want to assess what the impacts are for the customer externally. You want to make sure that um, any interventions that you're designing are aligned to how you're um, engaging internally so it's a mirrored approach um, so that when the customer calls the the customer service helpline, they, um, they're getting um, consistency in terms of language and, um, and, and assistance and support. So, yeah, it's, it's very interesting because there's been no one way um, that I've known or experienced consistently on how customers are, um, are supported through a change. Mm, 
Mm. Yeah, and that comes back to that risk is, well, if we're doing messing with, you know, customer channels or we're asking the customers to do something differently, then what's the risk? But also, especially if it's like, um, oh, I saw um, there's a guy, he's been on the podcast. His name's Dave, Dave Munro. Hi, Dave. I know you listen regularly. I saw he shared on LinkedIn this morning a post about NPS and how. Yes, I saw that. Oh, that you was saw fabulous. that? Yeah. And it was about how customers could be, you know, considered advocates because they gave an NPS score of nine or 10. Yes. But then, you know, when you drill into the data, it turned out they hadn't actually, like they said they would recommend the company, but they hadn't actually done it. So it's like, if you're opening up a new channel, it's like, well, and you've got sales and revenue and you've got targets dependent on that. What are you going to do to make sure that, yeah, they know about it, that the behavior changes, that the action is done differently? Because otherwise, you know, you're not, again, you're not going to get the benefits. It comes back to risk and benefits, baby. Absolutely. And something that I've seen more recently um, in, in action, I suppose, um, Tash, has been how do you bring that customer in um, at the start? And we're sort of veering off topic a little bit, but how do you bring the, <laughs> the customer in and make them the centre of everything you do? And, and how do you keep touching base with that customer to validate um, what you're doing and, and the direction you're going to make sure it is the direction that they're looking for and they, um, I, I know that they may not know what they don't need before they need it, if that makes sense, but that, that kind of Apple kind of theory, but how do you make sure you keep them close um, and really um, at the centre of what you're doing? Yeah, yes. Um... Any other questions or things that need to be asked and considered when bring, bringing about change? The, the other thing that um, I often, and can also be a very um, sensitive question, is how supportive is the group executive or the leadership team of this change? Yeah, is this um, change sponsored? Oh, my God, so many changes are not properly sponsored. Yes. and. I think getting to the the truth of that answer can take a lot of unpicking, um, generally because people don't feel comfortable um, being vulnerable and, and talking about why they're not supportive of a change or the fact that the leadership team aren't quite on board. Um, but, you know, it's the decision that the, I don't know, CEO's made, so we all just have to get behind it, for example. So I think that's um, something that is really important to get clear up front and also the implications of if they're not supportive um, and what that will mean because I think that is very unclear um, through a lot of changes and I mean we all know the change starts from the top if mm -hmm. everybody is not supportive at that level um, then people see through that very quickly and your buy-in across those influential stakeholders further down in the business just evaporates before, you know, you've even done your first impact assessment workshop. Like yeah. it's just out the door. Yeah, if so, it's not being, you know, role modelled and led by the – because you, as um, change practitioners, like we can't lead the change and implement it. We can't decide what the change is and implement it. So, yeah, you've got to have some clear – clear leadership and, and clear strategic and, and executive support for it. Yeah. Legal yeah. change is just 
yeah, it's critical to their success, I would say. Mm. Mm. So we talked about, let me, if I recap, because we went off on a number of tangents, which is all good chat. Um, but we talked about sponsorship. We talked about risk. We talked about benefits. We talked about, do people need to do something differently? Do people need to change their behavior? We talked about, you know, a business critical processes impact or, or a team that is a critical team that, you know, performs the business critical things. Um, and we talked about customer impact and people changes. So was there anything else? It's a pretty long list, actually. <laughs> I think I've covered quite a bit, to yeah. be honest. Yeah. Nothing else springs to mind. Um, oh, you think- know what else? I just op model. Op model. Oh, wow. You're changing yes. your op model. But then that probably be, you know, is a combination of some of those other ones. Yeah. And I think it's it's interesting because um, the driver of the changing op model can be so diverse in terms of, you know, um, has there been a resignation? Therefore, the, the way we operate needs to change and um, business services are being combined in a certain way or are we introducing a new product or a new service that might generate the need for um, a change in the way we operate? Um, are we growing as an organisation, which is often also, you know, are we expanding yeah. the way we operate? Do we have a new strategy and we've got completely different strategic drivers and outcomes that we're trying to get, yeah. Exactly, exactly. And often people... Um, when they think of a model, they think of a, a, an org structure. Um, mm. and it's very Which is common. usually the like after effect or one of the, you know, consequences of op model design. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, so really being clear on how you want work to flow within your organisation and um, the capabilities that you need to support that um, is, you know, a really big and juicy and, and a, a kind of change that I love to to sink my teeth into when I get the chance because it, mm. it is very um, can be very challenging but it can be very rewarding work. Yeah, absolutely. Um, anything else? No, I don't no. think so. Um, I wanted to ask you as well about when isn't change required and I know we touched on this in one of our tangents where we you know talked about it doesn't mean you're spending you've got the most expensive project or you know you've got the most technically complex change are there other examples that are that you can think of when you maybe don't need to get change involved or think about using change management principles yeah I have thought a lot about this because um and I say this with a lot of caution yeah. Because um, yeah, we don't want to tell thinking, people, nah, you don't need us. <laughs> you always need change. If there is a person at the end of it, you need change. Um, but there are, and, and we sort of touched on it earlier, some really um, technical technology changes. So, you know, things that are very much um, behind the scenes, um, what people call back-end changes. Um, so things that um, will be done or changed to a particular system um, I found often in the, these circumstances, um, many of the people that are implementing and will be um, the recipients of this change are the same stakeholder group. Um, and it's in those situations where I would, um, my advice have 
generally been um you don't need someone of my with my services or my um my capability yeah. um, and and tend to lean on the lighter side that said um I mean there is always an opportunity to make sure that the you know, communication is really clear around what the outcome is um the why of the change um and and what the the success measures look like and and the the case for change I suppose Mm-hmm. um because often I don't think in those situations that that is considered it's more we need to do x to to deliver y which means and it's very um yeah very clear um in that sense so that would probably be my one area where I would feel comfortable stepping away and um and leaving it up to the tech guys to to implement and deliver that piece but um it it's something that um is very um very interesting because depending on the level of maturity of the organization I often find is whether they even ask that question yeah yeah Um, yeah so you know um in organizations that I've been in where change is quite a mature discipline um you know the tech teams are pulling you in yeah um and almost um to the to the point where they're so conscious of not um, of implementing something without your um, involvement, which mm. is amazing. And then I've worked yeah. in organisations where tech are like you're the hot potato, and you, they couldn't be far enough from you. So I think it's um, both environments can be challenging in their own ways, mm. um, but it's certainly easier um you know without a doubt working in organizations where it's a mature discipline and and um you you work do work hand in hand with that yeah I think it doesn't even have to be mature I think if people have the awareness that oh you know Mm -hmm. Camilla is our person or Tash is our person let's just ask them and they're just asking yeah um you know it, it yeah it doesn't have to be an organization that has a huge change practice or has 400 change managers on the ground. Like I think if people just ask and go, I'm not sure, let me ask Camilla because she's our head of change or let me ask Tash because she's, you know, the person that's doing change for us in our area. I think that you're, even if you do that, you're doing the right thing. (laughs) No, that's a good call. And yeah, mature doesn't necessarily mean um, a large change practice. I think it's more from a, um, an understanding of, change management of the discipline and as a um a service that is offered to them as part of um you know all the other support services that come along with their business like finance or risk or PX um, mm. you know it's um it's that level of maturity which I think varies significantly across different businesses yeah yeah and and this is another question I wanted to ask and I feel like we've almost just segued into it naturally but what are some common mistakes that you see when people are deciding whether or not they should involve change or involve a change manager or, or get the opinion of a specialist? Yeah, it's fine. Um, I think the assumption that they don't need someone <laughs> yeah. is probably the biggest mistake I would say out of all of them that I've seen yeah. and been part of. Um, we don't need a change. Like, we don't need change. Yeah, we don't need to do an impact assessment. There's no impact, and that that really makes me alarm bells, curious, red flags. Yeah. yeah, and I think as well, like not 
a lot of issues that I see is, you know, change because that was the assumption, like change was never consulted or involved when the project was being costed and stood up. Mm -hmm. So the project gets stood up. They realize halfway through way too late, four weeks, whenever it's always late Mm -hmm. and then there's no budget. And so you can't, you don't have the, um, the resourcing that you need to actually deliver what mm-hmm. you think needs to be delivered. And so instead you end up, you know, going, oh, okay, let's work out an MVP and let's just get this over the line. And then getting something over the line becomes the definition of success and just going, oh, it didn't suck. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then, you know, people, again, people don't understand the value because you didn't really get to show what you could do because you were kind of just, that was really recovery. It was project <laughs> recovery. It wasn't, you know, excellent change, even though you think we basically performed a miracle sometimes. Um, but yeah, I think another one is just costing out the project and then it's like, oh, we've got no money. Ha <laughs> ha. Yeah, absolutely. And it's one way that I have found to get around that or to prevent that from happening is finding where where do all these requests are necessary to. And generally it's, you know, um EPMO or project management office of of some sort within the organization. Um, or is there a particular sponsor that regularly um, sponsors these kinds of activities or these programs that are getting this? And how do you um, build their awareness and their buying um, for what you're bringing to the business? Um, and and really being front of mind for them. So networking across the business to help build that understanding and that awareness that you are there is change services offered um, within the business. This is what we do. This is how we can support because I've often found that um, that's how you can build the the awareness and the yep. um, and the engagement as well um, early on. Yeah, being really close to those people throughout the business because it's often in you know um, you know what we used to have before COVID water cooler conversations or kitchen conversations yeah. where you see people and they are oh, actually. I've, I need to speak to you because I'm pulling together a business case. Um, so it's how do you um, how do you maintain that level of um, network um, to start to make sure that you're pulled in at the right time? Yeah. So a mistake on the change practitioners end. I think that's very relevant and very apt because, yeah, like if people don't know about you, they don't know what is change why change what's the value um and you know I think teaching them as much as you can about change as well and say look because as you I'm sure you would know being ahead of change you don't always have resources just sitting there twiddling their thumbs that you can go oh here's an analyst here you go um it's often like oh uh, okay um that's great I would love to help but we don't have anyone or we can go to market but it might take six to eight weeks to bring someone on. Um, And so, you know, you've got all of these kind of restraints. So even if you teach them, if you teach them only look, if you don't have the luxury of a specialist resource and also resources are expensive um, and not everybody has it, but you can go, here's some things you can do. But I find the more you teach people about change, the more that actually makes them come to you and go, oh, I, you know, we definitely need some change here or we need to do an impact assessment or yeah. so it's not like, cause I feel like some practitioners 
feel like I need to be the expert and to maintain my expert status or in the whatever hierarchy I'm perceiving for myself, I can't give away any IP or any of my own knowledge. I've got to keep it all to myself. And I fundamentally disagree with that because I think the more you teach other people and they're never going to be as good as you, they're never going to be, it's going to take them 10 years to get to Camilla level practitioner, you know, goddess, because you, that's where you started, you know? So you, by you showing them how to do an impact assessment, they're not going to overnight be better than you and be take over as the change expert of the organization, but they will actually engage more and they will include it in their business cases, in their project costings, yeah. and they'll come much earlier than four weeks before go live. Absolutely. And, you know, all going well, you might interest someone in becoming a change manager and. Oh God, to- no. Why would we do that to people? <laughs> Oh, I love it. That's one of the things that I love to, you know, the people that I've worked with um, in the, you know, the, the years that I've been working in change. It's refreshing. And I, I, when people are like sponges, I fill them up because it's, um, you know, yeah, I, you know, admittedly there is a benefit for me from a, a change perspective, but also it's great that they, um, to, to upskill people generally and get that word out across the business that can be another um voice of change which you can never have too many of in my opinion Mm, you can never have too many advocates and as we both know you there's so it's so often that you don't have enough so the more people you help the more the more you spread the word like because you've got to change manage the concept of change so all the same things you would do for you know all the stuff we just talked about do people have to do something differently? Yes. Is it a different mindset? Yes. Is it a new capability? Yes. So, you know, again, if you're, you know, and this is more for the changing listeners, but if you're not applying those same principles to your own quest of trying to get change, yeah. you know, heard and supported and valued within your organisation, then, you know, yeah, take a look in the mirror. Um <laughs> Any other mistakes that people make that we that we haven't already covered off? Um, I think the the other one that comes to mind is, and we may have touched on this a bit earlier, but getting change involved in involved too late. Oh, um, yeah, I think it's and it's an age old one which I know you know <sighs> the other changes out there um, have experienced in some facet. Mm. Um, and it's quite refreshing when you are involved. This is an idea that we're thinking about. What 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 are your thoughts and how, what, what do you oh, think this will mean for our business and our customers? That's the dream. And that's it, the dream. It is. And, you know, I can count on one hand how many times that's happened happened to me, which, you know, is, is I must say is getting, um, becoming more and more um, common. Um, yeah. In, in the different organisations that I work in, but it's not quite where it needs to be. But um, I think that mis- misconception, that change can um, provide value that early in the piece. Yeah. Yeah, because I think people just think, oh, it's comms and training and we just chuck that in at the end and it's like, well, you know, and again, it kind of, I don't know if I use this phrase already, but it comes back to that change as the order taker. Yeah. Um, and it's like we've already just decided the impact and we've decided what the necessary interventions are. So you just need to write the comms and yeah. you know, and then it's and like I've got an example, like there was one um 
client I worked with last year and it, yeah, I was brought in late-ish in the piece. Yeah, late, late in the piece. Um, and change hadn't been budgeted for classic, classic, classic story. And then they realized, oh no, we need some change support. And I came in and, um, and we were in lockdown in Melbourne. So the only option that I had, because it was just me, um, was we had to do training via Zoom. And I'm like, God, I would have loved to have hit this up with some e-learns um, yeah. or a bit of, you know, some simulations or some activities. But as you know, um, that's another, re- that's a, an instructional designer is a specialty resource mm-hmm. and it is a lot of effort and it costs money. And mm-hmm. there was no money for that. There was no time for that. So we ended up having to do these Zoom training sessions over Zoom and it was a new system. And as you would know, um, when you're in lockdown, like we couldn't do it in person because we were in a lockdown, even though like, yeah, what ended up happening is the slowest, least technical people like just held up the training groups. We tried all these different things, putting them into rooms and, you know, doing X, Y, Z. And God, it, we ended up having to do all these additional sessions and there was no other solution. Um, we ended up coming out of lockdown and managed to do a bit of stuff in person. And I just thought, God, it would have been so good if this was all somebody from change was actually kind of consulted and this wasn't just a cobbled together last minute solution. I went off on a massive rant there. Oops. Um, Can I, can I counter that with a really positive experience that I've had more recently is um, I'm fortunate enough to be working with people that from a procurement and supply management perspective, really understand change and the principles and the values that it brings to the organisation as a whole. And so as a result, for the first time in my career, I've been brought in by that team, you know, at the start of an initiative to be part of that, you know, um, procurement process from when we're choosing a vendor to really help the, the program team understand the impacts from a okay, if we choose this vendor, it's going to mean X versus if we choose this vendor, it's going to mean Y, how that might um, play out from an employee and a customer perspective and what that will mean for them Um, and really getting clear and um, articulate on what this decision is going to mean for the business, Mm. which is something that, you know, I've been in change over 10 years and, not once has that uh, ever been my experience. So it's, I'm not saying that this this is a, a bit of a unicorn situation. It doesn't happen very often. But shouldn't be though. You know, it shouldn't be the exception. Should, it should be the rule. It should be the norm. And the, the driver behind that was because that team is um, understands what we do um, changing and, and they know why it's important. Um, and they, there's no second guessing that. It's, you know, a given that we're at the table and providing important value because we do. Good. Great. Amazing. No, <laughs> thank you for sharing that story because I love to see it. And it show it obviously shows the impact that you're having in your role as well. Yeah. And the work is being recognised because another thing I find is people, you can talk at people until you blew in the face, but until they see good change demonstrated, that's only then that they truly get it. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you demonstrate good change, then people get on board. They, you know, start to believe in it. And um, 
you know, you've change managed it. (laughs) Absolutely. And, you know, the rewarding um, aspect is, oh, that was really valuable. I got a lot out of that. And those comments that come that for people that didn't really understand what change management was and why you do the things you do, um, you know, I've had some of those little nuggets of goodness more recently um, in my career. And it just, it gives you the warm and fuzzy feeling that you don't often get with change because people are um, are sometimes reluctant mm. to accept it. Wonderful. Wonderful. I love to hear those stories. <laughs> um, so before we wrap up the podcast, is there anything else you wanted to share with the listeners, Camilla? You've already been so generous with all of your thoughts and advice. Look, and for those, this is probably more dedicated to those people who aren't necessarily working in changes um, at the moment, but it's never too early to involve change. The earlier that we're involved, the more volume can add at the at the start mm. um, and continue to to provide value throughout the um, initiative or the program, whatever it may be. Um, so don't hesitate to either reach out to your internal change team if you have one or seek advice from um, from a change professional um, externally to your business because the value that they will add um, will really make a difference to the success and the overall adoption of any initiative that you're working on. Amazing. Amazing. That was great <laughs> advice. Well, Camilla, it's been such a pleasure having you on the podcast. I'm so glad we talked about this particular topic because I know this was something we worked on together last year. Um, and for the listeners, if you do enjoy the podcast and you listen on Apple Podcasts, please feel free to write a review. It helps the podcast get seen. Oh, and give it a five-star rating. Um, other than that, I'll be back soon with another episode. But Camilla, thank you again. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on Casa de Cambio today. Thanks, Tess, for having me. It's been wonderful.